0: Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Thank you, David. It's lovely to have my family here. I don't know when I last preached to an... Um... <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know when I last preached with them, being all together. Oh. I'm not supposed to cry. He was fa- supposed to cry further on in the message, not here. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to honour Rotten as well, because 17 years yeah. that gave, they gave to the church in Cape Town would not have materialized if it wasn't for them. They built with me. We worked together. And uh, and I'm truly grateful. So you have a pastor that worked for 17 years and established a church in South Africa, then came to a foreign land and has worked here for another 20 years, 19 years, and God has used him to establish a church here. That is a feat of note, I must tell you. I hope you realize what you got. Because he's amazing. He really is. He's an amazing man, amazing father, amazing husband, a good preacher. Didn't like preaching when I first knew him, but my word, he can preach now. So now I need to ask you, did you read the scripture of the prodigal son? You were asked to read it. Yes, we did. If you didn't read it, if you didn't read it, you must leave now. <laughs> but I will tell it anyway. I'm not going off in any other direction. I'm staying here with that story. This is a story of a loving father. He had two sons and servants. The eldest son was self-righteous. And he was trying to please his father through good works. The youngest son was totally rebellious. He was a rebellious boy. He was spoilt, self-centered, and selfish. And neither of the sons had at this stage in their lives uh, seen their father's genuine heart. They hadn't seen it. Hadn't seen the father's heart, so... So the young son comes to the father and says, please, Dad, will you give me my inheritance? This was unheard of in um, Old Testament times. It's unheard of in in any time. Um, The son gets a large sum of money when he has his bar mitzvah. And that's uh, a wonderful thing. But you don't go to your father and ask for an inheritance. But this father had tremendous grace because he was also going to live through the ridicule of the rest of the Jewish community that he was in. The Jewish community all knew how his son was. The community knows your children. Maybe sometimes better than you do. Because they've got their kids and they're doing naughty things. And um, (laughs) it's never the pastor's children that are naughty, by the way. (laughs) Towards the elders, yeah. <laughs> and um, so they, the father knew the heart of his son. It's important for you to know that the father knew the heart of the son. And the father also knew that the son was going to return home. If you look at the story in the scripture, he went out each day and looked down the road, waiting for the son to return. He knew what the son was going to do with the money he was going to give him. He knew he was going to blow it. And he knew that once it was blown, he was going to come back to the father asking him for some more money. No, he'd come back to the father. He knew that. And and in faith, the father gives his son the money, hoping that the son will come to his senses. Knowing that the son will come home one day. It's quite an incredible thing that he gave in faith. He gave his money in faith, even though he was going to be ridiculed by the community and told, you know, you should never have done that. And um, we need to be careful in our own lives that we don't do that to other people, that we need to be able to trust that the, the father of his children knows what to do with them. You can always come for counsel on your children, but anyway... This son went on his journey. Went to a foreign land, and there he blew the money on, on, on very bad living. Um, this son did things that none of you, none of us have ever done. This son sinned bad. You name them, he did it. And the uh, first thing he did, of course, was when he got there, he got himself a chariot with serious horsepower. <laughs> Really, really, this was um, like six horses, this thing went. <laughs> and it was you know, like streamlined and it had voom, it could go. And it, was, it, was, it, it attracted people because, you know, sports cars sometimes attract people. So I was very blessed to, um, to grow up with Steve West and Mary Ann, which is Valerie's other sister. And Steve did extremely well in business. And he had uh, five or six motor cars. He had three MGs. You know what MGs are? Um, he had a Porsche Boxer. It was nice. But he had a Jaguar, silver Jaguar, V8, supercharged. 0 to 60, 3.6 seconds. This thing went. It was dangerous. And they went on an extended leave and... Uh, and said to me, would I mind uh, taking the cars out for a spin and keeping the batteries charged? I said, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I took all these different cars for a spin, and then one Saturday morning, I decided that I was going to take this Jaguar out, and I was going to go to Camps Bay. You want to put the Camps Bay? That's Camps Bay. See how beautiful Camps Bay? That's Cape Town. So there's a nice, long road. See that nice, long road there? And in, on, in, in the summer, that place is packed. And it's packed with young people, packed with everyone. And um, I thought, you know, a, a gray-haired 50-year-old in a silver, silver Jaguar must attract something. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what it would attract. But it must attract something. There must be, you know, I was expecting a few waves, you know, a few kisses, <laughs> something. <laughs> so if I went, I had, my, um, I had my MG cap on, my shades, roof down, and it's a stick drive. It's got five gears. So it's quite nice because if you're driving you, you're a stick, you can, you know, you Put it neutral, and you can rev the engine. <laughs> and because there's so much traffic, there was many opportunities for me to stop and rev the engine and look across, <laughs> look across this way from the sea, to where all the people were, and smile. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I went right down that road, and uh, and got to the other end, and nobody waved at me. No one, not a soul. They didn't even notice me. <laughs> or the card. I, I, was, I was astounded that there was no reaction. I mean, I was driving that thing where it was, was making so much noise, but no one even looked. So I was quite deflated, I must say. <laughs> I thought such a good looking man as me should have attracted <laughs> some attention. <laughs> no, nothing happened. <laughs> So because I was, I was feeling down, I thought, well, I've got to put the car through its paces. So I went to a place in Constantia Hill, which is a long road. It goes for about four miles. And I took a quiet drive down there in the car and checked under every bush and everything to make sure there were no speed traps, because at the speed I was going to go, they'd put you straight into jail. Then I went back up the top there, and, and, um, and I put it through its paces. And I got to 180 oh, kilometers. kilometers an hour, yeah. Just over 100 miles an hour. It's fast. I mean, it's fast. And when the angels left the vehicle, I returned as the prodigal pastor back home. <laughs> <laughs> so we see in the story that the, the young son, yeah, he, um, he runs out of money and uh, he says, how many of my father's hired men have more enough, to eat, more enough bread to eat? But I'm dying with hunger. This is the first time that that rebellious son saw the real heart of his father. Because he referred to his father in how his father looked after the hired help. Which is an important lesson for us that we need to treat people with respect, that maybe work for us, and we need to really treat, uh, re- give respect to those that we're married to. Amen? Amen? You need to respect your wife. And the wife, you need to respect your husband. And um, so this is the first time in his life that he, he sees it, and he sees it, he sees it not in his own life or his brother's life. He sees his father's heart and how the father is serving and loving those that work for him. And I think that's precious. I really do. So he sees him, so he decides he's going to come home. And he comes home. Can you imagine the rejection the son would have would have received if the father had rejected him? The father had every right to reject him. He'd given him a third of his wealth, he'd blown it, he'd lived terribly. He could have said to him, you selfish little brat, yeah, you've used up all my money, you've had no respect for your father, you are, you're terrible, you're a horrible child, you're a terrible son, get lost. They would have destroyed that son. And um, it reminds me of, of, of Paul, my son, when he was at school. went to try out for cricket for western province which is a province for the western cape so it would be like trying out for baseball um, within one of your provinces, I don't know how it works in America maybe for Florida and I went to watch with Dee and he did extremely well he took most wickets and um, but wasn't chosen and and When I asked the coaches what the story was and the selectors, they said that he'd done well, but the the coaching staff for the boy from Bishops, which is a private school, were much better, so he had a better chance of going forward, so they chose him instead. So Paul was devastated. The last thing Paul needed from me was to be told, you didn't train hard enough. Didn't, you, didn't, you, know, you didn't really put your heart into it. I knew, I knew what he had put into it. That would have been devastating. All he needed from me was to be loved. He needed me to throw my arms around. He was crying. He was distraught. He really expected to be chosen. Um, that's him there. And um, he wasn't. And I told him, I said, my boy, if you're good enough, If you apply yourself diligently, one day you will play for South Africa. And he did. And that's him there. He's slightly bigger than me. (laughs) And um, he played his first test for the Proteus at Newlands in Cape Town against India. And he took five wickets in his first game. And Sarah was there. I was here. Sarah was there, I was watching online when he did that. But so often in life, fathers can be so hard on their children. Or it's the father's goal for his child to succeed in a sport or in an activity. And he's like getting his his acceptance and stuff through his children. And as a result, then he puts his children in a tremendous um, condemnation and guilt and stuff because they're not performing where the Father expects them to perform. That is detrimental to your children. God never does that. And uh, I didn't do it to Paul. I threw my arms around him and I loved him. And um, just showered him in love. And, uh, and he was, all my children are self-motivated. I'm very blessed with that. I didn't have to sit on them. I think the most rebellious one was Rebecca, but we won't talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking, Rebecca. I love my family dearly, like I know you all do. So it says in the scripture, and he came to his father. When he was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck, and kissed him. This is the last thing that the son expected. He was coming back with with a plea to be a a servant in the house. He He was broken. And here, instead of being knocked or put down or pushed out, he's totally accepted by the father and the father physically loves him and kisses him I love that he says father I've sinned against you in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called a son came back with this attitude of heart that um, he wasn't worthy anymore to be called a son in the father's house and the father called his servants Bring the best robe, he said. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let's eat and be merry. For my son that was dead is alive. My son that was lost is saved. It's quite amazing what the father did for him right there. You know, they killed the fatted calf right there to Re, um, what's the word? Establish the covenant that the father had with the son. The fatted calf was a calf that was specially given special stuff to eat. It was only used for major celebrations. And, um, and then the father gave, gave him stuff. And you know in the story, he gave him a robe. And the robe was reserved for very special occasions. Uh, the robe has a two-fold meaning in covenant making. The first one symbolizes the exchanging of robes, signifies the willingness of two parties to lay their lives down for each other. And we see this in David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 4. The second, the robe, represents the, the uh, possession in covenant terms that the one in giving the robe is saying, everything I have now belongs to you. And the ring, the ring, the father called for the ring, the ring is a wonderful picture of the restoration of authority. The signet ring, the family seal, would boldly declare that the son now has been restored to his position, position as a son, and he has the authority of the father. And I think that's also the most wonderful thing. The son that was lost got saved. Amen? The son that was dead is now alive. The son that was lost has been restored totally, totally, unconditional love. And this is what the Father does for us. He extends his unconditional love to us, unconditionally. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. He accepts you unconditionally. No conditions. What he does is he runs up to you. And he embraces you and kisses you in your neck. You know the other wonderful thing that Father God does? Father God is always looking down the path, waiting for you. To return to him, expecting you to return. He's always looking down the path, constantly for you. His heart is so for you. Every day when he gets up, he looks at humanity and looks and longs for them to return to the Father. That's what he does. That's what this father did. Every day this father went out. We don't know how long it was. Must have been a year or two. Must have been a while. Unless he really blew the money very quickly. I think it was quite a while. Every day that father... Went out longing for his son to return, and that's what the Father God does. He longs for your return, back into the fold, back into sonship. And this story wouldn't um, wouldn't end if we didn't um, talk about um, the second son. The second son um, needs some 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 discussion. The father also put sandals on his feet. The sandals are a symbol of restored position. The the the, the servants worked in the house barefoot, but the sons wore sandals to signify their their their, um, their restored position as sons in the house. And uh, the third the third brother, he. Um, uh, the, the second brother, he uh, he's out in the field and he hears all the commotion going on and he wants to know what's happening. And uh, they say, well, there's a party being thrown for your brother. He's returned. And he cannot believe it. He cannot believe that the father would have accepted the son back after he took a third of the inheritance. He also didn't like the fact that now the next inheritance would still be divided by three or by two. So he'd lost out badly here, financially he'd lost out. And it says here the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. He went out and pleaded with him. And the heavenly father does the same for you and I, He pleads with you come back. He wants to. He wants you to receive the unconditional love of the Father. He wants you to be given the robe of righteousness and life and an inheritance. And he wants you to be given the ring of authority and dominion. And I said earlier, we have dominion. We have dominion over the devil. We have dominion over sickness. We have dominion over, over diseases. We have Dominion. We have authority. Amen? We have dominion over the devil. And the devil hates us. But I've got news for him. We hate him too. Amen? Yeah, I know we do. And we're not putting up with any of his nonsense. Not in our lives. And none in yours. We'll stand with you. Alongside you, no matter what you're going through. As the father did, as pastors, that's what our heart is for people. We stand alongside you. So the older brother's bitter, and the father goes out to him. And this is what the, what the son says, that the, um, the eldest brother. All these years I've been slaving, slaving for you. Never disobeyed your orders. Yet, you never gave me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends it's quite amazing that this brother identifies as a slave he says I've been slaving for you it's also because he's the elder brother he's obviously already received the the robe he's already received the ring he's wearing the sandals He has the authority that the father has given to him. He has the authority to call the the servants and kill the fat calf. He doesn't have to go to the father for permission. And yet he slaps the father in the face by saying that you didn't even bother to kill a goat. They wouldn't be eating a goat. It's quite amazing. It's mind-boggling to me to imagine how much the elder brother has forfeited as a result of this servant mentality. It really is. It's mind boggling. He doesn't know what's his, he doesn't understand what he has. He's got the robe, he's got the ring, he's got the sandals, he's got all this, but he's trying to win the Father over by self righteousness, trying to win the Father over by doing things. You can't come to Christ by good works, it's impossible can't you come by faith you call by the father jesus pays the price for your sin and the holy spirit enables you to live the life amen and how much he has forfeited this older brother having the robe having the rings having everything and yet not seeing the father's heart he refused to come into the in, into the party it's quite incredible to think that he did that. But he did because of his mentality. A slave mentality. Now I need to talk to you about your, your own earthly father because I had a most wonderful relationship. I had a loving father. Really, he was beyond wonderful. And uh, what my father did for me was amazing. I'm dyslexic. Believe it or not. That's why we never read the long scripture. If I had a long scripture to read, I asked you to read them because I would once I'd get to a certain place in the in the scripture that all the letters would go into each other and then it was I couldn't see it and uh, it's just amazing what God's done for me and God can do the same for you so I had this wonderful relationship with my father, but you might not have. You might have had an alcoholic as a father, or a mean father, or a a selfish father, you know, a father that abused you. I don't know what your father was like, but you don't want to stay enslaved to that father. You might, God does not want you to stay enslaved to that father, because there is a father that will accept you unconditionally. Amen? Amen. Amen? So... So regardless of what your father was like, there is a godly father. Don't allow the devil to lie to you about the father God and relate your father to the father God. You can't do that. If you do that, you'll never come to find out the love the father has for you because you will be trapped in this thing of what the Father, what your father was like. People relate God to their father if... I don't know, if if God's anything like my father, I want nothing to do with him. And that's so, so bad. Because you won't find him if you do that. You've got to allow God to lift that, that slave mentality off you of that stuff that's been put on you. And it's been put on you even though you didn't want it. Amen? You didn't want that in your life. And, you, and unfortunately, you had to live through it. You don't have to live through it any longer. I'm here to tell you that God can set you free from that. Even though you had a bad father, there is a godly father that is deeply in love with you. Deeply in love with you. And he wants a relationship with you more than anything else in the whole world. He is standing at the crossroads looking down, waiting for you to respond. And what are you responding to? You're responding to his love. To his unconditional love and his acceptance. He wants to put the robe on you. He wants to put the ring on your finger. He wants to make you righteous. He wants to justify you just as if you'd never sinned. He wants to make you whole. He wants to give you the Holy Spirit that can enable you. There's so much he wants to give you. But you've got to come to him. You've got to see it. You've got to let that thing go. If you're sitting here today and you've got that, and you had a bad relationship with your earthly father, then ask God to lift it off you, and I'll ask God to lift it off you. Amen? Amen. So the Lord told me three things that I should talk to you about um, in closing that, um, that maybe you might need. Um, one is a huge hug. That's the first one. When he saw his son, he ran to him and embraced him. He embraced him. And he kissed him in his neck. Maybe you need to be embraced. If, if that's you, then I encourage you to slip out your chair and come to the front. Uh, we have been given the ability as pastors, as representatives of God, through the Holy Spirit to impart to you the love of the Father. Amen? It's in us. We live and breathe that stuff. We do we wouldn't be doing this job if we didn't love people that's That's what we do. that's what God put us on the earth for to love people. So if you are a man that's here and you need to be loved physically, given a hug, I won't kiss you, you, might. you might. I might <laughs> then. I encourage you to, we'll, we'll, we'll all stand in a minute, I'll encourage you to do that. If you feel that you are sitting under a slave mentality, whatever it might be, then God wants to lift that off you, then we would also like an opportunity to pray for you, but you have to initiate that. Um, we can't initiate for you, you have your own will, you need to initiate so if you, um, if you feel that you are enslaved to something, okay, to a rebellious father, to all that stuff, but maybe enslaved to other things. God wants to release you from that enslavement. He wants to put you and reestablish you. Get back into the house, back as a son. And if you are here today, and over time... You've heard the gospel preached. And today, amazingly enough, you've come to your senses. And you know that you need to give your life to Christ. You know what God does? He uses people over time to present you with the good news. Some people hear the good news once and they respond to it. Others, it takes a while. There's stuff in their lives that is preventing them. And it takes a while for the penny to drop, for you to come to your senses, to see what Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross and and being raised up from the dead. To see a loving father that would sacrifice his son on your behalf. It takes a while for some to see that. And maybe today, the lights have come on for you. I pray they have. If you don't know the Lord, I pray that the lights should come on for you with all my heart because your life will never be the same. Guilt and condemnation will be lifted off you. Some, have, some people live under guilt for years when they don't have to because you paid the price for our guilt. You don't have to live under that stuff. You can be lifted off in a, in a, like that. Just by responding to the love of God and accepting Christ as your Savior, God makes you new. He says, "The old things passed away; behold, new things have come." Amen. He recreates you. In a split second, you're recreated into a son in the house with a loving Father, and with the Holy Spirit that enables you to live the life. Say, "Amen." Amen. Do you want to stand with me? So I want to remind you, if you need to be hugged as a man, then um, slip out. If you need to be hugged as a woman, Valerie will give you a hug. Um, I said in the last service, if you very good looking, I might consider it. <laughs> but I'm only joking.